Hey there. Thanks for joining me today for another episode of Lymphedema Podcast. My name is Betty. I'm a certified lymphedema therapist, passionate lymphedema advocate, mother, and the voice behind the Lymphedema Podcast. What began as a small passion project in 2019 to provide answers and explanations to people with the lymphatic disease lymphedema has now reached more than 75 countries. Whether you're a patient, caregiver, medical professional, or someone interested in lymphedema, there's an episode here for you. Every week this season, there will be a new episode to help you learn more and navigate better your journey ahead. I'm so passionate about teaching others about lymphedema that I made this podcast just for you. Disclaimer, if you feel you have lymphedema but have not been diagnosed, please see your medical professional as this podcast is not a replacement for a diagnosis in person, a treatment in person from your certified lymphedema therapist, or a substitution for your doctor's medical advice. Thanks for joining me. I hope you're ready to learn something new today. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to today's episode of Lymphedema Podcast. I'm so glad that you are joining me. Um, This month for Lymphedema Awareness Month, if you're joining me live on the release of the episode. But if you're not here live, I'm also just glad you're here to listen to and learn more about lymphedema therapist and how we come in different shapes and sizes and specialties. Joining me today on the podcast is Brooke Bielman, and she is a speech language pathologist. Brooke, welcome to Lymphedema Podcast. Thanks for having me, Betty. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, We have been interacting on social media kind of behind the scenes. And I think we even have shared um, a couple stories back and forth of a student SLP who is a primary lymphedema patient who has reached out to me and kind of said that she found inspiration to become a speech language pathologist from a combination of us. So I think that's really exciting. Um, My passion for lymphedema, her passion as a patient and your passion as a speech language pathologist, um, kind of tying her worlds together. So I think it's pretty cool that we kind of share that in common. Yeah, definitely. And I love what you're doing on social media to spread awareness about lymphedema. I think it's really important. Thank you. I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce yourself real quickly for, um, all of us who are new to you, because even though I've been following you for a while, I'm, I still don't know much about Brooke either. (laughs) Well, thanks. Yeah. So um, like you said, I'm a speech pathologist. I'm based out of Kansas City, Missouri. So I have experience in a lot of different settings, um, acute care, inpatient rehab, outpatient and skilled nursing. I've done a lot of different things just in regards to education and national awareness about oncology related um, lymphedema, which has kind of been my specialty, not necessarily lymphedema itself, um, but understanding the correlations between lymphatic dysfunction and dysphagia for people with head and neck cancer. So um, previously, I served as the district lead for um, speech pathology in a local hospital system here in the Kansas City area, and I've done a lot of um, education and awareness on social media about this topic. Um, which is an area of passion of mine. So now currently I am serving as the director of marketing and communication for Tim's Medical, um, specializing in swallowing diagnostics, MBS and fees, and in back and acute care and helping out um, hopefully with uh, the head neck cancer program I previously helped develop. So I'm very excited to be back in uh, direct patient care here locally in Kansas City. You have a lot of experience and on a lot of different avenues. Um, I love that. I actually really find that um, inspiring because I feel like as a young clinician, 
I'm no longer a young clinician, but when I was a young clinician, I did not want to be forever and always an outpatient physical therapist assistant. Because I remember going through clinicals and seeing people who are like, oh, I've worked here for 35 years. I'm like, what? You've done the same thing for 35 years? And this is as good as you are at it? Oh, it didn't really add up for me. And so I then started to look in a lot of different settings and I kind of got bad feedback. <clears throat> this kind of a, this is not on topic. I kind of got bad feedback, I feel like, from older clinicians who would say, you know, you're making yourself less desirable as a professional, having all of this experience in a bunch of different places. They're like, you need to hone it in and be only in one area for a long time. And I don't think that's the way it is anymore. And I don't think that that was good information because I have experience in many, many settings. And while now I've landed in kind of my passion um, for my career, that would have been really bad advice if I had taken it. So I love that you kind of have experience in a bunch of different settings and I, I just can relate to that personally. Definitely. You know, I think um, in the past, it was more common for people to stay in one setting or position for a long period of time. And I've actually also received the feedback that you said that you've received. Um, but I think it's it's nice to have experience across different settings, in my opinion, as a therapist, because you get to see a patient across the continuum. Um, so the settings that I've been in, I have been in actually all at the same time. So it's kind of nice to see a patient, you know, in acute care inpatient and then outpatient and really see them across that continuum. Uh, but then outside of that, you, you know, even in your experience as well, you've done a lot on social media and with podcasting. And I think that we can have a really big impact, um, both here in the United States and abroad through social media and, and other um, platforms that are maybe not as traditional as therapists, um, which can be really powerful if you're interested in pursuing those. So um, I'm right there with you. Good. Thank you. I, I think that's inspiring. And I know that probably many people who are listening are going to feel some inspiration from that too, that you don't have to just stay stuck in a box. Um, You can, and it is good for our careers to dabble. That's kind of how I like to put it. <clears throat> so uh, to get on topic, I want to go ahead and jump in. Um, So you are not a CLT. Is this correct? This is correct. Okay. So I think I was aware of that. Um, and I do know some SLPs who are certified lymphedema therapists. And so I wanted to go ahead because I know I've seen a lot of your work um, with promoting lymphedema therapy um, from the speech language pathology side of things. And I want to just touch on this real quick. How would an SLP become certified as a lymphedema therapist, is there a specific avenue? Um, do you guys have um, within your discipline like any resources for SLPs to take the, you know, CLT courses? Yeah, that's a great question. So really this whole avenue of lymphedema and talking about this topic in speech pathology, um, really, you really have to give credit to the clinicians at MD Anderson, um, specifically Brad Smith, Kate Hutchison, and Jan Lewin, who really, um, and amongst others, there's a lot there, um, but they have really brought this conversation to the forefront of uh, the speech pathology field. So it's not extremely common that you'll find a speech pathologist who is also a certified lymphedema therapist. Now, 
That being said, in the past, you know, three to five years, um, there are a lot more speech pathologists attending lymphedema training courses. So specifically courses on head and neck. Um, again, to become a full CLT, typically you have to actually get approval. Um, so for example, um, I'm actually looking to pursue my full CLT. So I've reached out to some of the courses and typically the response you're going to get is why are you as a speech pathologist wanting to get to get the full CLT, right? Because um, it's not like I'm going to treat lower extremity lymphedema. Um, that being said, to additionally get, um, you know, certified through LANA, um, you have to have coursework and such that you completed either in your undergrad or graduate work. So I do have a couple of friends that are actually speech pathologists and CLT LANAs. Um, it just, again, depends on how much education and training that you are wanting to pursue and are able to pursue, you know, um, based on what you're doing clinically, as well as financially travel, et cetera. Um, so I um, have done training in lymphatics, um, but just coursework specific to the speech pathologist. So I'm not a full certified lymphedema therapist. Um, I think it's important that we're talking about it, but I very much emphasize um, that every patient that I see should also be seen by an occupational or physical therapist who is a CLT. And that's a good point to keep in mind that speech language pathologists do have to go through kind of the ringer to be able to get that certification. It's worth it. I think it should become easier because there are many aspects um, of lymphedema with pediatrics, with head and neck cancers, um, with primary lymphedema patients, whether they're young or they're older, whenever they present, that they're not always treated with that textbook um, protocol. And that's actually been something um, somewhat of a pet peeve of mine recently in the last year or so is that not everything fits into that textbook scenario. And we as clinicians often know that with many other patients, but here in the lymphedema world, it seems that there's so many people that are excluded from that textbook protocol and that we're not equipping clinicians as they need to be equipped um, because people are I don't know. The word I like to go with is kind of narrow-minded that you have to be, you know, a full CLT with this full certification, but there's really no no real reason for them to have that full training. Say if they're a speech language pathologist, um, you would probably never treat a secondary to breast cancer lymphedema patient for upper extremity lymphedema, but for a head and neck patient, maybe that's a recurring cancer that they then had um, head and neck cancer treatment for, and they have that swelling. So I think that we will see some improvement there. I hope that we will be seeing some improvement there um, within many disciplines, but in general for the lymphedema certification. And one of the key points that I want to chat with you about is lymphedema as a key component of acute and chronic swallowing, um, airway, voice changes for those patients with head and neck cancers, what can you share with us about that specific topic relating to your expertise? Yeah, definitely. So um, this kind of touches on what you just discussed, but um, as a newer clinician, um, several years ago, working with patients with head and neck cancer, I 
initially did not think about lymphedema. I was thinking about fibrosis, not understanding the continuum of um, lymphatic uh, progression right to that fibrotic stage. And so I was doing what you would consider more traditional dysphagia therapy, which is what I had learned in graduate school and uh, was in discussion at the time in a lot of um, speech pathology support groups and whatnot. Um, back then, there wasn't, again, quite as much re- uh, information and free resources on this topic. So that being said, I um, was doing, you know, what I thought was the correct thing to do. And my patients did get better to a degree, but often they would plateau, which this is, in my opinion, due to a combination of things. Um, I was starting to get this head neck program developed. And so patients, unfortunately, were often referred to me later on down the road after treatment for head and neck had already completed, which we know is not best practice uh, from a swallowing standpoint and from a lymphatic standpoint. Uh, But as things started to get better in regards to more proactive referrals, Um, I started to kind of become more aware of the lymphatic component. Now a break to recognize the sponsors that make Lymphedema Podcast possible. Eros Medical is a pneumatic compression treatment providing upper and lower extremity compression with more than 30 sizes and pump sleeves. Eros is sure to have a product to help you in against lymphedema. Pediatric Lymphedema Alliance is the first pediatric lymphedema garment kit and education resource. Play provides specifically curated kits for pediatric patients by age and stage of lymphedema. The eight-hour online course is a great starting point for new therapists or families who are interested in learning more about the fundamentals of pediatric lymphedema management. Juzo family-owned compression garments give you the freedom to make the most of every day. And so um, I was seeing these patients, like I said, that had fibrosis and I didn't know what to do with them. And I referred them initially to um, PT, um, patients that had trismus. And PT said, well, you know, we don't really feel comfortable treating these patients with head and neck specifically. We do jaw work, but not specifically trismus. And um, the hospital that I was at, there really wasn't anyone else in the area that could service these patients um, just due to transportation and whatnot, because the hospital was the largest institution for a several hour radius in this certain part of the state. And so I got on a plane and flew to Houston and got trained by a physical therapist in um, what was then referred to as myofascial release. So manual techniques um, specifically for head and neck not head neck cancer, just the head neck region in general, and started implementing that in my practice and immediately noted improvement externally. Um, Additionally, started to notice improvements in what is called modified barium swallow studies, which in the speech world, um, that's an instrumental evaluation. It's a moving x-ray study that we utilize to assess swallow function. And so I was seeing improvements not only externally, but also in what my patients were reporting as well as functional outcomes. So at that time, we then had hired um, an occupational therapist who was also a certified lymphedema therapist. And um, I started to to work with her. Uh, We actually had a a rep from a company come in one day and um, I never I never got invited to like the rep meetings because there wasn't any reason for a speech path to get invited to these meetings, but somebody didn't show up and they had an extra Jimmy John's sandwich. And they're like, Hey, do you, do you want this free sandwich? I was like, sure, I'll sit in. I don't know anything about lymphedema, but I would love a free sandwich. So I sat in on this meeting about lymphedema and it was just like a light bulb. Oh my God moment of my patients have this. And I had never heard of it. And 
Um, so came full circle, um, started at that point then to collaborate with the, with the certified lymphedema therapist. And because then at that point we were getting patients earlier in the disease process, I was able to better compare their studies, um, at the time of referral, both to myself and getting diagnosed with head and neck cancer to their post-treatment studies. And what I was seeing were internal anatomical changes that I asked the radiologist and the occupational therapist, do you think this has a lymphatic component? Um, specifically looking at the submental space, the epiglottis and the posterior pharyngeal wall. And our conclusion was, yeah, we think this is internal lymphedema. So like I said, this is going back several years. We did not at that time have a lot of research to support what I and my team were hypothesizing we were visualizing under flora. So we started um, adding in um, endoscopic studies, which for those of you experienced with head and neck, you would know, you know, most of these patients are getting some sort of um, endoscopic study done by an ENT before they're sent to speech most often, but because of how the health system was set up, um, I wasn't always getting those images. And so we started incorporating fees into what we were doing with our patients, which for those who aren't speech paths, it's a flexible flexible scope that we can utilize to assess uh, swallowing the airway from a different view than the moving x-ray that I talked about. And so in adding that in, uh, we were better, in my opinion, able to visualize the anatomy and this lymphatic component. Um, in my opinion, that's kind of what brought it full picture for me. Um, realizing that some of these changes that we were seeing both in the short term and the long term were related to lymphedema. And so we developed a proactive protocol, not only for dysphagia, which was at that time um, well documented in the literature, specifically from MD Anderson, that patients really needed to be doing swallowing exercises and maintaining some sort of oral cancer, but also looking at the lymphatic component. Because um, as you know, being a certified lymphedema therapist, if the anatomy is altered, it's really not going to be able to go through that full range of motion that you would want. So let's say you're my patient and you're being extremely um, compliant with all of your exercises because you really want to eat and drink, um, but you find that you're really not getting the benefit. And if you think about these anatomical changes that these patients are experiencing both externally and internally, it makes sense because the anatomy really isn't able to function as it's supposed to, right? Because of this dermal backflow that we're seeing both um, externally and internally. So we incorporated lymphedema therapy earlier into this protocol that we developed and saw even greater outcomes than we did just focusing solely on um, dysphagia. So that's kind of was my, my light bulb moment. And um, like I mentioned, um, in my introduction, we had really good results. And so I became the oncology lead for speech pathology, um, as did my counterpart, who was an OT. So we kind of led the discussion across the district about what some of the best practices were for patients with head and neck cancer within our health system. So it was a really exciting time in my career. I think that's amazing. I've always been interested in some of the live, um, I guess, fees studies um, that you guys have posted to just show just like, uh, I think I just recently saw one of the effects of MLD uh, during a study. And so it's just fascinating to me. And I had so many light bulb moments just learning about that um, from you and from watching that study. And I have a Brad Smith fangirl moment that I experienced um, where I was like, ah, oh, yes, this all makes so much sense that 
you know, we can't see internally. And we talk about internal lymphedema, um, abdominal lymphedema, um, you know, genital lymphedema. There's so many things, so many things. And I've always told people, they're like, well, where can you get it? I'm like, literally anywhere you have skin, which is still internal. Like there's still places inside that we can't see that has that capacity to swell because the lymphatic system is everywhere and it is, you know, paralleled with everything. So that's amazing. I, I, I just really respect all the work you're doing and just the, I mean, strides you're making for the whole community. I think it's really amazing. Well, thank you. And, um, you know, like I said, some of, some of what I discuss on my social media pages, um, you know, we do need more research on. So I'm very authentic about that um, as it relates to what's going on internally. When I present on this topic at state conventions, um, a lot of the feedback I get is we need more objective data on what you're talking about in regards to external manipulation. So MLD, manual techniques, compression, advanced somatic compression, et cetera. Um, but I always, you know, kind of respond to that and, one, we can definitely hear from our patients how this impacts their life. Um, you know, I have been posting a lot the past couple of weeks because I've had several different people that, um, oddly enough, are speech pathologists that have had neck cancer themselves or who have family members who are, um, who are asking for, for my advice. And I always recommend, one, that they see a certified lymphedema therapist and a speech pathologist in their area, but um, they'll tell you themselves, you know, that that these things do have a direct impact on their ability to breathe, swallow their voice. Um, so, you know, that to me is huge, but then like I mentioned, when we're doing fees or MBS, typically you are going to see, um, improvement in swallowing impairments as well. So it, this is my clinical opinion, but I, I just don't think we can discount that. Um, I don't think that we should, let's say you're my patient and you look pretty good externally, um, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to refer you to a CLT and recommend that you do, um, you know, what we would typically recommend for a patient with head neck cancer that has visible external swelling. And that comes from one, my clinical experience, but two, the research that we're seeing now that 97% of these patients have internal lymphedema and typically eight anatomical sites are affected. So in my opinion, with this being a progressive and chronic disease, um, they should know about it at the very least and have that information so that they can really be empowered to uh, be proactive on it if they so wish to do so. And like I said, typically patients even that look, you know, for my less trained eye than yours, they look pretty good externally, but I still always refer them to a CLT. And um, I am trained, like I said, in um, lymphatic work and manual work as well. So I'll typically do some stuff too, as well, just to target uh, more from the swallowing side of things. So, you know, the submental region, the laryngeal region, et cetera. Um, and most oftentimes my patients do have really good feedback about um, that kind of approach. This is a good plug, I think, to encourage patients to advocate for themselves that when they're going through I mean, cancer treatment is enough, right? Like who wants to throw on lymphedema management and figuring out what that is and who a CLT is. But I would, I couldn't stress enough that patients listening, if you are experiencing head and neck lymphedema, or even if you're a therapist, but patients first, if you have head and neck cancer, if you are having swelling from the side effects of that, 
and you are seeking a CLT, please do not just sign up and be treated by the first CLT that will take you. Um, Ask if they have head and neck lymphedema training. Ask what their background is in it. Ask if they're open to a continuing education course um, to be able to better help you along that. Because I was I was one of the CLTs who took my took my training, and then a year later, I was like, I know there's so much more that I don't know. And one of our nurses on staff at the outpatient clinic I worked at, she. Uh, went through cancer treatment for um, some sort of cancer in her mouth. And so her treatment, when she came back to see me, she needed head and neck lymphedema management, and I wasn't skilled enough in it. And so I immediately asked our clinic, I was like, look, if it doesn't hit home now, it it should, because one of our own needs our help, and we can't treat them the way we need to. And they, we were seeing so many patients in our community at the time that I was trying to do my best, but I was like, we could do better. So I went back and got certified and any therapist, I think any, um, setting, any office, um, even though those are expensive courses to be able to provide the best treatment for our patients, we really need to look at that investment in ourselves and in our communities. So patients, if you're listening to this, I would encourage you to just ask if they have head and neck lymphedema management training. And if you are a CLT, um, think about pursuing advanced lymphedema management training so that you can provide these services for those patients. Definitely. You know, on, on that note, Betty, um, a lot of patients, in my opinion, that have head and neck cancer and head and neck lymphedema, um, they typically benefit from intraoral work. Mm-hmm. And so that's another thing to ask as well. If you are seeking services from a therapist is uh, whether or not the, the therapist feels comfortable doing intraoral oral work, because um, again, most of these patients do benefit from intraoral work, whether it's target the lymphatic system or trismus. Um, and typically, you know, both can be beneficial. So I think that's another important thing to ask. Um, and you brought up a, a really good point about patient advocacy you know, sometimes this topic is not discussed when a patient goes through head and neck treatment. Um, like I mentioned, I had a speech pathologist reach out to me just two weeks ago, and um, she's super young. And the uh, team told her, you're going to do great. You probably won't have really any long-term issues. And she got connected to me through Instagram and we met on Zoom. And I could see even on Zoom that she had facial swelling. Um, and so, you know, we we talked and I gave her a lot of information and I told her, I really think you need to get a fees and you definitely need to get a CLT in your area that specializes in head and neck. And she contacted me um, recently and she's had a significant reduction in her facial and laryngeal edema. Her swallowing's gotten better. Her oral cavity range of motion's gotten better. Um, and she was just so grateful that somebody told her about it. Um, again, if you saw her like at Target, you would not be like, oh, that girl has lymphedema. Like you would not think that. But because she was coming to me with these symptoms and I knew her history and of course the risk of 97% risk. Um, and again, like I said, I could just tell based off of seeing her and knowing those symptoms that she probably had facial edema. Um, and then, like I said, she reached back out and was like, wow, this has been really life-changing. So I just I really want people to know that there are options. I really believe people are deserving of the information. 
I think that's, I mean, I, the whole thing's amazing. If we weren't running out of time right now, I would totally be asking you and telling you like seven more things. Um, to close, can you give any, and I always like to leave with like a motivational or like inspiring thing, or just what would you like the audience to take away from our conversation today from you? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, one, if you're a patient, know that there are options and there are so many people around the country that truly care and want to give you the resources. So don't be afraid to reach out. Um, And on the therapy side or healthcare professional side, don't be afraid to do something different and, um, you know, go outside of the box. And like I said, just really pursue something that you're passionate about. When I first entered this realm, I was told by colleagues, this is not in your scope. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be talking about this and, you know, discussing lymphedema. Um, but I felt so strongly about it that I continued down this path. And um, I'm really, really thankful that I did because I've learned a lot from PT and OT and from my patients. And I just, like I said, I'm very passionate about giving patients the information, but therapists as well, that, you know, I really believe that this is something that can be treated um, and we can really do great things for our patients. Thank you, Brooke, for joining me on Lymphedema Podcast today. I really appreciate your insight and all the information that you shared. Thank you for having me. Mother Teresa says, loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. This podcast is here for you to find friendship and a community for your journey with lymphedema. I hope you enjoyed learning more about the SLP's role in lymphedema management. Remember, if there is a topic you're looking for, the website has a full library of podcasts. Email me with your story if you would like to share lymphedemapodcast at gmail.com or visit the website lymphedemapodcast.com to submit a topic for another episode.